Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. This episode, entitled So Loved, was given on October 7, 2018, by Bethany Shea in the series From the Ashes. Uh, before I go into our time of prayer, um, I wrote something up that I felt was needed to be said this morning, and it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with humans. And so I hope that uh, you can receive this and then we'll, we'll pray together. So I wrote, um, a little over 2,000 years ago, a baby who was known to many as a bastard was born to a woman who was full of bravery and prophetic, prophetic truth. 30 years later, this baby grew into a man who was crucified and murdered because he spoke truth to power. He was murdered by the people who were intimidated by that truth. And the people who first declared Jesus had raised from the dead, who had conquered sin and death, who had made new life where it felt impossible for life to exist, were women. Women were never believed in this time as a reliable witness. Women were weren't able to hold their own stories as truth. Women back in the day and women today oftentimes are not considered reliable witnesses to their own stories and their own experiences. And yet women were heard heard who Jesus entrusted to proclaim the best news that the world had ever heard. And many people never believed them until men gave them credit. And so I want to be the kind of community that stands next to and that believes each other in those sorts of spaces, just as Jesus always stood next to those whose voices were being silenced. Because we have a Savior who makes a path in this life where this life does not feel as possible. A Savior that's always stepping into those spaces where we feel like the voices are being drowned out. And I want to be that place as much as we possibly can. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with a Savior who sees those who have no voice and says, I will speak on your behalf. So I'm going to pray. We'll get into a sermon that's kind of, sort of not like that, but also totally like that because it's about Jesus. (laughs) Let me pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for this place. I thank you that we are a people who uh, get together week after week who are challenged, who are growing in you, who get to discover more and more about who we are and whose we are and allow that truth to change our lives and to be your light in this world. God, we release this time before you. As our hands are open, we want to release it. Anything that's keeping us from being present to your presence, we let go this morning. And Jesus, as our hands are open, we also want to receive from you because we know that you have a word of truth for each of our hearts and a word of truth for our entire community. And we trust you. We trust that that promise will come true today because you are a God of promises and you are a God of faithfulness. And we thank you for that, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So uh, just a heads up, uh, every week here at our church, um, week after week, we gather here, and we do not gather here for me or Clark or Jason or Ian or whoever else is teaching to feed you. 
I think so often the American church has this consumer mentality that I need to be somewhere to be fed. I just, we have like that language. Um, how was church today? Well, I really didn't get fed today. <laughs> and, and, and that's okay. I mean, I, I think it's okay to have that sort of mentality, but the goal here is not to feed you with enough to make it through each week. The goal here is to make you hungry. The goal here is to gather around Jesus Christ as the living bread, the bread of life, and to be that kind of aroma, as Peter Rowland says and other people say, to be that aroma that actually makes you salivate for more of Jesus throughout your week. My goal, and everyone's goal here, is to challenge you, is to cause you to go, oh, I don't think she had that right. (laughs) I don't think that they're on the right space there. I don't know about that. That makes me a little uncomfortable. I want to make you uncomfortable. I want to make you feel cared for in the same breath, but enough to make you go, what is she talking about? What does this mean? So that way you are in the word every week, figuring it out. You're having conversations with your partners and your friendships and in God's word going, what is it that she said? What is it that he said that is going to carry on throughout this week? Not so great. I'm fed to last this week, I want you to be so hungry for Jesus week after week that you come back and want more and want more. And Jesus feeds you in those spaces instead of it just coming from me. Cool? All right. That's what it means to be a disciple, that every week you leave desiring more Jesus. So we've been in a uh, series this fall on John 3.16. It's a most popular verse in the Bible. Uh, And for many of us who grew up in religious households, for some of us, it's lost its punch, right? Like we're so used to hearing that verse all the time. Or it's the verse that's at football games or on the bottom of your In-N-Out cup, if you ever look under there. It says John 3.16 for you. Uh, It's the verse that's stitched on your grandma's throw pillow. It's the verse that we all memorized when we were children. And I believe this verse is not something we're meant to just fly over. I feel like it is weighty with grace. And if we sit in it, if we really sit deep into what the writer of this gospel was getting at, perhaps this verse can be born again in your life once again. Right before this verse, Jesus is approached by a man named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, how do I understand, how do I get into God's kingdom? And and Jesus is like, you have to be born again. You have to have a whole new perspective, a whole new way of seeing God and seeing the world and seeing your place in it. And I believe this verse has pregnancy with meaning. It is revealing a God who is not distant and unapproachable. It is revealing a God who is present and available to you right now. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the first part, just for God. (laughs) So we've been looking at who is God. And the name that God has given the people to tell him, to to say is Yahweh. And he says it, it means he is. I am. He is. And we looked at how that word he is almost blocks and, and boxes God in even more because then we're ascribing a gender to God. Yet God had no gender pronouns. That word he is is actually a genderless word. In the Hebrew language, most words have a gender ascribed to it, yet this one does not. And so it just 
breaks God out of any box that we ever try to put God in. I don't think it's bad to use gender pronouns for God. I feel like it gives God those characteristics that are important to us. Yet there's something so vast and beyond our understanding that God truly is. We looked at how God is known through, uh, known and revealed through Jesus Christ. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the greatest commandment, the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you were there the last a couple weeks ago, we had the, the alphabet out there for you, learning our, our letters again. And we had the analogy of the capital A and the lowercase a, the capital A meaning like to love God, and the lowercase a is second, is like it. It is like the first. It is a retelling of the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. Both are saying the same thing. To love God is to love people. So we've gone pretty deep into God. This week we're going to look at uh, for God so loved. So loved. And love is a term in English that is really often overplayed and overused. We will use that word love for everything. I will say I love sushi and I love Jesus in the same breath because it's true. I really do love both. You will say that you love your partner and your best friend and you'll say you love those shoes and all of those things and that word love kind of loses its meaning in the process. But you might be surprised to find out that the Bible was not written in English. Did you know that? I know, I know. It's crazy. (laughs) The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And there are a handful of different Greek words with different values and meaning to them where we only have one English word. So for love, our one English word for love, there's four different words in the Greek. You've got a word used for admiration, another one for eroticism and intimacy, another one for friendship, and another one for sacrifice. And they're all translated as love. So the weightiness of for God so loved can get lost in translation. The word for love that John uses here is agape. It means the kind of love that is boundless. It means unconditional where there's absolutely no obligation needed in order to receive the love or return the love, it's simply given. There's no strings attached to this love. And the weird part of this word, to me, is uh, the D at the end. For God so loved the world. Loved. That, That agape is used in the past tense. And I don't, he didn't use it in the past tense to show that God once loved the world and that love is no more. It actually means that something happened in the past that is still true for today. Something happened in the past that has nothing to do with your effort or your goodness or your holiness. And what happened in the past is still true for today. So there are verses throughout the Bible again and again that speak of God's intention for humans. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, you see uh, that Paul writes, before the creation of the world, God chose you. Uh, In Titus 1.4, the author says that God promised humans eternal life before the beginning of time. 
In Jeremiah, uh, the prophet speaks about how God knew you uh, before God formed you, that God loves you with an everlasting love. So time is another word that our language can get confused by, right? Like there's the language of of time in the Greek is, is chronos. This is the language we use for today. This is our understanding of time for today. It's a linear sort of a way of thinking of time. Chronos is measured in a timeline. It's it's measured by that 24-7 sort of a period. It's the way that we deem success. We deem how successful we were in our day based upon how much we accomplished on our list of things that we checked off. All of those have to do with a chronos kind of time. It's based upon how much we can accomplish what we got done. There's another form of time in the Greek that the Bible uses pretty regularly, and it's called kairos. Kairos time means an interruption. Kairos is a moment of grace. Kairos isn't measurable. It's not linear in the same way. Kairos is is, is God's time or God's season or an opportunity for what God is doing in that moment. So when Jesus says, the time for God's kingdom is here. That word that he uses there is kairos. It's like God is interrupting everything that the world was going through. Everything that you could measure at success by God was interrupting it in that moment. So if we were looking at a timeline, if we needed to have that sort of concrete language of like, well, what do I see? I need to have it in some sort of a linear space then you can see kairos almost like a timeline of agape love. Like kairos is measured by love. Kairos is when your plans are interrupted by God's grace. Have you experienced this, like this sort of kairos moment? I would love to hear from you while you're thinking of it. An example that I have is I feel like my Sabbath is a kairos moment where I'm like the whole day is interrupted because <laughs> I don't plan anything to happen. Or um, or like Kronos would be Christmas Day, um, December 25th. That is a Kairos moment, right? That I'm sorry, not a Kairos. That's a Kronos moment. We know the date. But what happens on that day could be Kairos moments within that day. Uh, a plan that I had for myself was to... Uh, conceive children and grow a family that way. And God interrupted that plan and had me on the road of adoption instead. That is an interruption in what I was expecting to happen. Kids also are a great way of having Kairos happen at all the time because you're like, this is what I'm going to do today. And your kid is just like, I'm sick. I'm throwing up everywhere. And you're like, okay, where's God in this? (laughs) So that would be an example of a Kairos moment with children. Does anybody have any examples of how they've experienced God interrupting their plans? Anybody? Ariel. (laughs) Um, I think, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, great, I'm going to be late now, but then I end up running into a couple of good friends and, and talking to them, and it really like just helps make my morning better. Totally. Um, or bigger things where I had this specific plan for my life and what I was going to do and how I was going to do 
frustrating. But mm. then like, when I look back on that and how it worked out, I know that like if it didn't happen that way, I wouldn't have learned the things that I did or I wouldn't have experienced the things that I did that right. to the point that I am. Good. That's good. Thank you. Anybody else experience those Kairos interruptions? Okay. For 39 years, uh-huh. was interrupted, and the God moment is. <laughs> yeah. Those shifts that happen that you don't necessarily see are going to happen, I think God can use those in amazing ways, incredible ways. Well, when I say it's a God moment, it's yeah. I remember the church where I was praying, you know, and that was really a blessing to me. Yeah. Good. That's good. Anybody else? Kairos moments. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, isn't that incredible? It's like the story that you would have never written for yourself, yet what God has for you in that is... It's incredible. It's like we have to... Continually pray for eyes to see what God is doing in our lives. Good. Well, my encouragement is just to keep looking for those for those moments, what they look like in your lives. Yeah, Jay. Um, I, I was going to say, I think a helpful distinction between the Kronos and the Kairos is yeah. um, the Kairos is more of a, like the experience. Mm. Not the event, so like for Ariel, what did you experience mm. in that that event? You know, what did you experience in that event? And those are those like intangible love, forgiveness, redemption, peace, an overwhelming sense of peace in the midst of grief. You know, yeah, those kinds of things. Like um, a helpful way to look at it. That's good. Cool. So I think our understanding of time is not the same as God's. Right. And I think uh, what God is trying to get us to understand is that God's intention for humanity existed before we could have done anything to deserve it. And there's nothing you can do to lose God's love because there was nothing you could do to gain it. It's just been there before our brains could ever even understand what time looks like. And I think so many of us live in this like scarcity mindset where we believe that love might run out or we've tested God too much or God is too disappointed in what we've done or how horrible we are that God's love might actually hit a breaking point. So we just have to kind of hold on to it and make sure not to rock the boat too much, right? But there's a verse in Romans 5, chapter 8. It says that God demonstrated how loved you are Because while you were still a sinner, while you were still not living into God's intention for you, while you were still missing the mark that God has for you to live into, Christ died for you. Before and while and now and tomorrow, God demonstrated how loved you are. And the D on loved is given to show that there's no beginning 
and there's no origin of God's love. It's always existed for you without any work on your part. And then it's through receiving that love that we become changed through it and by it. When Nicodemus was asked, or asking Jesus, and Jesus said, for God so loved the world, it was a brand new way of seeing the world. He was being born again, or he could have been if he stepped into that space. Everything changes because of the love of the Father. So I would ask if anything's coming up for you right now, but I know that for many of us, it's not new information. This is something that so many of us have heard our whole lives, especially if you grew up in a religious household. Like, we know that God loves us. We, we hear it all the time. Some of it does have it tattooed on us. Like, it's just part of, we've heard it our whole lives, right? But even when I know it, I still have a hard time receiving it. And maybe it's because of my own religious baggage, feeling like I need to work for God's love or believing that God's mad at me for not doing enough or from sinning or, or God's never really pleased with my performance. Like, he's going to be really disappointed in who I am. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet compares striving for God's approval to be like dirty rags. And these are not the dirty rags that you'll find hidden in your garage somewhere. If you translate that, what it means today would be known as a used cotex. For those of you who get that. For those of you who don't, we're not going to go there. But believing that you can earn God's love is is considered one of the most unclean things according to God. To believe that you can earn God's love, God's like, I can't stand that you would think that's true. I am so sad. I am disgusted that you would think that you could buy or earn or, or, or do something to get my love. In Philippians, uh, Paul writes a letter to the church of Philippi, and he lists out all of his credentials. He's just like, this is who I am. This is what I've done. I am the best. This is awesome. Like, I've done everything perfectly right according to God's standard. He's obeyed all the laws over all of his years. And then he says, I count them garbage compared to just knowing Jesus. And that word garbage is, I'm all over the Greek today, but the word garbage is skubalon, which is the English word for our swear word of poop. It was a swear word back then. And he counts everything he's ever accomplished, all of his righteousness and religious deeds and everything that would fit really well on a plaque. He considered it horse manure, just compared to knowing Jesus. Just knowing Jesus. All the ways that I think that God might be more pleased with me if I did this awesome thing or became a missionary or a pastor is so good thing I'm already there, so I got the gold stars in heaven, everybody. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not how it works. But anything that I would feel like I could earn my way into God's good graces is horse manure to God. God is... simply wants you to know that you are loved before you've ever done anything about it. And then from that love, you are then changed. In the beginning story of Genesis, we looked at that a few weeks ago, how those 
first humans chose a way out of God's pathway, out of God's uh, design for them to live, and they ate from that fruit, and they sinned against God's wishes for them, and their response to the shame was then to cover up anything that was vulnerable and anything that exposed themselves. They covered it, and they hid from God. And I believe it's the same for us today. We're always covering ourselves up. We're always trying to hide ourselves. We don't want anybody to see anything that might not be the perfect perspective of who we are, the the highlight reel on Facebook or whatever we put out there. We want to cover it all up and stay hidden. And the Bible says that after they covered themselves up and they hid, God was walking through the garden and he's looking for these humans. And God asks, where are you? Where are you? God knew where they were. God never misplaced them. He was never tricked by them. They misplaced themselves. Even when God knew where they were all along. And God's love for them never diminished. It never ran out. I know God was sad by their choices, just as when we are choosing something outside of the purposes of God, God is grieved by that. God's purposes of loving other people, of caring for this earth, of caring for ourselves, when we aren't stepping into those spaces and we're stepping outside of God's purposes in that way, we are grieving God. But God's love isn't going to run out. And I think that God is asking us the same thing. He's saying, where are you? Where are you? And we have the choice of either hiding deeper and going further into our hiddenness, or we can respond by stepping out and say, here I am. I was really afraid you wouldn't like me anymore. I was really afraid you wouldn't like what you saw. I think God knows where you are all along. And God loves you where you are. But do you know where you are? Do you know that you can receive that love? Are you willing to humbly come out of hiding and willingly say, here I am, willingly abide in God's love? The writer of John 3.16 was one of Jesus' disciples. And he later wrote a commentary on this verse, essentially. So we're going to read a little bit of that commentary this morning uh, on the Gospel of John. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And then we'll wrap up and go into our time of response. 1 John is in the almost totally back of the New Testament Bible. If you have this one, it is on number 1230. In this Bible. So it's towards the very back. It's right before 2 John, if that's helpful. <laughs> right after the Peters, first and second Peter. First John 4. I'm gonna read uh, verses 7 to 21. So John writes, Dear friends. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We'll look into that more in the weeks to come. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, in case you didn't get that before. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen. Man, that preaches. I think... um, I think sometimes we feel like we have to work for God's love or approval, like we're climbing this ladder of good deeds to heaven or something. Like if I just keep moving up in the world, then eventually I'll get there. But I think within God's experience of time, these like Kairos moments, we, we see that God's love is not contingent on what we do or what we don't do. God's love and God's grace and God's rescue and God's way of living is immediate. It just simply needs to be received. And God's asking us all the time, where are you? And I often see these Kairos moments of life like a teapot, as I'm sure most of you do as well. (laughs) A teapot where God is like pouring himself into us and sits with us and we steep in God's love and grace. And we take on the essence of God's love and goodness as we steep in God's love. And sometimes we're in seasons where we simply need to steep. We simply need to sit in God's God's love in this sort of kairos time, allowing God to convince us that how loved we actually are and then to be changed by that love. Sometimes that season is a season of just sitting in it. But I don't think that we're meant to just sit in God forever, just me and God. There's this common idea that I don't need a church family, that I don't need other Christians because I just need my relationship with Jesus and I'm good. You know, like like all I need is some good worship music and a few Christian podcasts to listen to here and there, and that's enough food for my soul. But you're not meant to just sit in God steeping in God, filled with God in this way by yourself 
Because if you sit for too long, you'll find yourself getting cold and bitter and sour and not good or usable for anything. A teapot is not designed by the creator to be filled up and just to sit. That is not how the creator designed the teapot to be. John says we love because he first loved us. So as God pours into me through Jesus and through his Holy Spirit, I am then meant to allow myself to be changed by the good news of God's grace to then pour myself out for the good of other people. And then God keeps filling me back up. There's never a place where I am pouring myself out from the insides of me. I am meant to simply pour Jesus out through me. And the minute that I'm not allowing myself to be filled up by Jesus, and instead I'm just floating through life and people are still needing me for certain things, is the minute that I'm giving myself to others instead of giving Jesus to others. And God's not glorified that at all. God is glorified by the way that God fills you up, where you are then changed from the inside out, and you are a conduit of God's grace to those who are needing it most. This filling and pouring is not simply for my own benefit. It is for the benefit of other people as well. We love because God first loved us. And anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister, as John says. So may you know that God loved you before you ever took your first breath. May you allow yourself to be seen by the God who never condemns, forever will ask where you are, has always loved you, and is constantly inviting you back. And may you sit with that truth to be changed by the grace of God, shedding any lie of sin so that you can pour that same agape love out every day. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given this to us to be transformed and changed. Not for us just to sit in for our own benefit, but to allow it to change us so we can then give this love out to others. Help us to be your gospel proclaimers. Help us to share your good news in every circumstance that you put us in, in every situation. God, we thank you for all the ways that you have interrupted our lives. May our lives continue to be an offering to you. May this time of worship bless your name. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about ways that you can be involved with Catalyst, please visit our website at provokechange.org. Until next time, continue loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving each other.